ever since I've, I've known, I've been a little bit top-heavy. And being a little bit top-heavy means that I've never really quite trusted my balance. Balance hasn't been something that, that I've really relied on particularly well. But there was a circumstance in year nine that really solidified that. I think it was about year nine. See, we lived in a house on the hills behind the school in Currumburra. And there were paddocks between the school and our home. Now, you could walk the long way and it'd be a 15, 20-minute walk, or you could walk the short way, and you would have heard me talk about uh, Zorro the dog in the past, going the short way, you had, to, you had to risk Zorro the dog. I'm not talking about him today. But going the short way, you did also have to jump two fences. And the fences went into a, a bull's paddock and then out of the bull's paddock. And uh, it was all good, but it saved you probably about half the time. You'd be, you'd be there in five to ten minutes. And it was fantastic. But one day, my brother and I were going to soccer training, and I went to jump the fence. And as usual, I was a little bit apprehensive, didn't quite trust my balance, but I'd done it a number of times and was, was quite aware of what I was doing. But on this day, I slipped and I did lose my balance, and I ended up with a barbed wire fence here and an electric fence here. Because um, the electric fence is set off from the barbed wire fence. And it's electric fence for a bull's paddock. And so they, they normally crank it up a little bit for a bull because they're, uh, they're, they're a little bit more feisty, and, uh, and so they crank up the voltage for a bull. So I've got a barbed wire fence running down here, an electric fence running here, and I've got to decide what to do. I've got to decide whether I get electrocuted by going this way or get biked by the barbed wire fence going this way. And it was quite a traumatic experience and my brother helped me out and I got electrocuted and spiked. Yeah, that's right, Michelle. I thought about that recently. I could have gone down. Would have been much smarter. Um, but, but obviously, in, in my moment of, uh, of, of stress, I uh, didn't think of the smart approach. But anyway, my brother helped me out. I got electrocuted and uh, copped the barbed wire on my shirt. It wasn't much fun. But what it did do is it reaffirmed what I already thought, and that is, I do not trust my balance. Um, now, I'm not much of a risk taker, but that one bad experience confirmed that every time my balance comes into question, the first thing I go is, what if I fall? What if I slip? What if someone bumps me? What if a, a gust of wind pushes me over? What's the consequences? I remember being up the top of this lighthouse. We were, uh, we were on holidays somewhere and we walked up this lighthouse and I got to the top and the, the, the railing was like down here. And I got to the out, outside the lighthouse and I was like, whoa, I, I can't be here. What if the wind blows me over the edge? What if, what if? You, you know, if you're like me in that circumstance, often when we think about what if questions, we immediately go to the negative. What if it goes wrong? What, what if... Uh, I fail. What if I look stupid? We immediately, when we say what if, we go to the negative side of what if. You know, Jesus actually had uh, many, many good reasons to give up, to not go ahead with the purpose that he came to earth for. He should have been glorified and worshipped. That's what he deserved. And yet, he put up with being a nobody with no home. He had the best news humanity could ever have asked for. He had the best news, and yet 
he was constantly doubted, even by those who were meant to be custodians of the truth, the spiritual leaders, like they doubted him. I don't know if you realize this, but including his crucifixion, there were six attempts made on his life. There were six attempts to kill him. It started when he was young, before he was two years old. There was an attempt made on his life, but there's, there's documented, there's recorded in Scripture, six attempts to kill him. Why didn't he give up? He could have avoided so much trouble. I want to ask you a question. Who has... Uh, put your hand up if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody. Yep. Keep your hand up if that's ever gone badly. In other words, they didn't respond well or you look stupid or something. Does anyone look stupid sharing the gospel? Yep. Yeah. Sometimes that can cause us to wonder what, what if... What if it goes wrong? What if we look stupid? What if I'm not good enough? Sometimes our perception of how we think about others, our what-if questions can be put in the negative. But that is not the way God thinks. That's not the way God operates. When He approaches what-if questions, He approaches them very differently to us. He says... What if someone hears the good news? What if someone is freed from their brokenness and bondage? What if someone could experience intimacy with God, the creator of the universe? What if someone could experience a life God designed for them? What if those things actually happened? These questions are actually motivators for God. They're things that drive Him, that, that motivate His actions. And we can clearly see that they motivated Jesus in His purpose. What if there was another way, a kingdom coming that could, people could be part of? I want you to check out this Bible verse. This is, this is mind-blowing stuff. It's from Romans 15, verse 13. It says... May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we start off with the God of hope. He's a God of hope. Yes, he's not a God of what if something goes wrong. He's a God of what if something awesome could happen. He is a God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So our part is to believe and he fills us with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound, overflow abundantly. What? Abundantly what? What? In hope. You may overflow, you may abound in hope. We start with a God of hope, but it doesn't stay there. We know that God of hope actually fills us with abounding hope. 
I want to read from 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts revere, which means uh, dedicate, make holy, Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. Peter decides to use the word hope there. He could have used truth. He could have used other words. But no, he says, give a reason for the hope that you have. He assumes that we have the hope that we hear about from Paul in in, uh, Romans. God has hope. He gives us hope by the power of the Spirit. And we share that hope with others. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Now, again, if you're like me, this is not always our experience. And and I don't want to go any further without actually saying, Lord, I want your truth and your hope to be my experience and my posture and my belief. And so we're going to actually pause now and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to bring that which Scripture says is for us to carry for us to experience, and for us to share. And it's not ours, it's God's. God is a God of hope, and by His Spirit, He gives us abounding hope. He's not a scungy God, and I believe that is for us, and I want to pray for that. Let's pray. God, we believe in Your Word and Your truth. And Holy Spirit, we ask right now for everybody that is here present in this call, Lord God, here in this gathering. We ask that by your power, we would abound in hope right now. Pour your hope into us, Lord God. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with your joy and peace and abounding in hope, Lord. Lord, I pray you would expose and break any lies and deception in our hearts right now, Lord. Anything that rejects hope, Lord God, rejects your hope, we pray you would separate that from our hearts and minds, Lord God, and that you would give us the strength to take those things captive and replace them with the truth and hope from you. Lord, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for the abundance of this gift, and we ask you impart it to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you believe? Do you, yes, I'm seeing nods. Do you believe? God is a God of hope. We are people that receive hope from Him as a gift by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord loves the idea of us sharing, giving Him the answer for our hope to others. I've got three questions. I've got three questions I want us as a church to dream about, to, to be excited about, to, to, to imagine the possibility of. There are three what-if questions that there's 20 million answers, but there's one answer that is the answer of hope I want us to have today. We could think what-if anything, but today I want to think about the what-if possibilities the way Jesus thought about the what-if possibilities. The first question is this, what if... We as individuals and believers 
could give love and mercy and justice to people in their time of distress and trauma? What if we could give love, mercy and justice to people in their time of distress and trauma? Just think of that for a second. Imagine if we were able to do that. Jesus asked this what-if question everywhere he went. He had this perspective everywhere he went. Whether it was sickness, disabilities, demon possession, hunger, spiritual abuse, the list goes on. What if we could give love and mercy and justice to people in their time of distress and trauma? Check this out in Luke 17, starting at verse 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Uh, As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out. Now, they're standing at a distance because when you've got leprosy, you're not allowed in the community. It's permanent lockdown, right? Lockdown for the rest of your life if you have leprosy. And so they're at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These are desperate people in a time of crisis. And their crisis wasn't one day crisis. This is crisis for life, right? He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Now, this was a border town, and so... It wasn't super surprising that a Samaritan wasn't there, but Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, did Jesus heal all 10? Absolutely. But he could have asked the question, what if they're not grateful? What if God doesn't get the glory? What if I only get a 10% return on my investment? I suspect he knew the outcome. I suspect he knew 10 people would get healed and only one would say thank you. But instead, Jesus had a perspective of hope. He said, what if I could bring love, mercy, and justice to these lepers in their place of distress, suffering, and social rejection? What if? What if? What if we could give love, mercy, and justice to people in their time of distress and trauma? Second question. What if we could share what we understand about the kingdom of God offering the fruit of the Spirit, kingdom produce as it were, with those looking for a better way through life. People looking for a better way through life, what if we could share what we understand about the kingdom of God to them? Again, this is something Jesus constantly did. He would teach on the kingdom, but he also shared kingdom ways. He sowed into so many people's lives. Let's look at Mark 10, starting at verse 13. 
One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. He represented a kingdom. And in a space where parents were wanting something that the disciples thought was a waste of time, a waste of Jesus' time, he was like, no, no, I want them to experience the kingdom of God. They weren't in a place of trauma. They weren't in a place of distress. But he was, he was oozing the kingdom of God in those around him. He could have asked many what-if questions. What if they haven't washed their hands after they went to the toilet? He could have asked any number of questions, but he was, no, no. What if they get a glimpse of God's kingdom? What if they could be blessed by tasting some fruit of the kingdom? What if, what if some even embrace God's kingdom? The third question. What if we introduce people to Jesus and they experience his salvation and new life? What if we introduce people to Jesus and they experience his salvation and new life? Now, I could give many examples of this. I'm, I'm not going to. Um, but I could also give many examples of where Jesus could have asked very different questions than that. Because there were many times that he looked stupid, he, he was misunderstood, he was rejected, and he was persecuted. Those things were very real experiences to Jesus. And yet, the what-if questions were what-if questions around hope. They were questions of hope. There's a pattern in Jesus' ministry We've spent this year saying we want to be people that follow in the ways of Jesus. And there's a pattern in his ministry that says, I will follow the path of hope. I will have the hope that God has for humanity. Even though we look around and say, maybe humanity doesn't deserve it. What if they reject you, God? What if they mock you? What if they do so many things and yet, and yet Jesus had the perspective of hope? My, my desire, my heart is that we embrace the way that Jesus embraced hope. That as a church and as individuals, we say we want to be people of hope and we want to be bold in our hope. We don't just want to be people that sit and, and gather on a Sunday and pat each other on the back and encourage one another, but not, not be people of hope. Because hope says tomorrow there is a possibility of people encountering God. Tomorrow there is a possibility of people encountering love and mercy and justice. Tomorrow there is a possibility of people experiencing Jesus and the kingdom that he's, he's Lord over. What if that happened tomorrow? For me, that's really exciting. And for me, that's something that as a church, we want to champion, we want to, we, want to, we want to cheer on, we want to be people that encourage one another with. I was super excited and, and a little bit peeved that Kelly posted on, on Facebook during the week. She almost stole my thunder. She said, what can we do 
What, what's some creative ways? The creative people, can you put your hand up and say, how can we reach out and bless people during this time of lockdown? I probably botched the words, but you get the idea. And I was like, what if? And I was like, yes, that's, that's where we're going as a body. We want hope and we want people to experience hope. And I don't expect you to memorize these three questions. That's, that's not the aim. But I do want you to memorize or to have embedded on your hearts that which we prayed earlier, that the God of hope would impart to us abounding hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be people that ooze that, that, that bring that to the people around us. I've got three words for you, three words that represent those three questions. And, and hopefully as a body, we can remember these three words and we can challenge and encourage and inspire and keep each other accountable to these three words. Three simple words. Intersect. The crossroads, the point at which our lives intersect with people on a different journey bringing love and mercy and justice to people in their time of distress and trauma. Intersect. Invest. Sharing what we understand about the kingdom of God and offering the fruit of the Spirit to those that are looking for a better way through life. It doesn't mean they're in a place of trauma or distress, but they're just going, I want to live life. How can I live life? And we have hope in that for them. We have a hope that we carry that they may have no idea about. And the third one is invite. Introduce people to Jesus that they might experience his salvation and new, new life. Three simple words that represent most of Jesus' agenda and, and mission on this earth. Intersect, meeting people in their place of distress and offering love and mercy and justice. Invest. Opening people's eyes to what the kingdom of God looks like and the fruit of it. And invite, introducing people to Jesus and the way of life that Jesus brings. Intersect, invest and invite. As a body, we want to be people that hold on to this. As a body, we want to be people that push the boundaries on this. There's some people that are early adopters and there's some that naturally just have that pessimistic way of thinking. They call themselves realists. We don't want realists or pessimists. We want God-oriented, hope-filled people that believe that there is possibility for us to bring hope to people's lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you're a God of hope. We thank you so much, God, that hope is your perspective. And you look at us, even in our failings, our brokenness, our, our, our insecurities. You look at us with hope. Lord, we are so grateful and we are so thankful that you are a God of hope. Lord, we believe you. We believe you. But Lord, we thank you so much that as we prayed earlier, you have imparted to us abounding hope to see people differently, to see possibilities differently, to see our influence on the world differently. Lord God, we pray that you would continue to stir that in us.
Lord, we believe you've given it to us. And we pray that you will rise that to the surface right now as we dream, as we wonder, as we expect for what tomorrow looks like. Lord, we would pray that you would transform our thinking and you would transform what we say with our mouth and do with our hands to reflect the hope that you have. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much. We surrender to your purpose and your will. And Lord, we pray that you will rise hope up in us as a community, continue to rise hope up in us as a community as we represent you in this region. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. What I, um, what I really, really want you to do is I want you to dream about what this hope looks like. I want you to keep asking the what if question. And every time your mind goes to, to that what if it goes wrong, what if it fails, rebuke it and say, God, replace that for me. Replace that for me. I want to ask different what if questions. And I really, really want to encourage us as a body to champion the what if questions amongst us. What if, what if, what if? Because we are so poised, even in lockdown, to be people of influence, to be people that, that create transformation in others' lives, to be people of hope. And so keep dreaming what if questions. But as God convicts you and challenges you, don't hold it to yourself. Don't hold it to yourself. Actually, uh, actually share it with your Activate group. Share it with people you're praying with. Share it with leaders in the church. Don't hold it to yourself. Say, hey, I've got this exciting what-if possibility. I just, I can't hold it in. I've got to let it out. I don't even know how we're going to do it. But I just got to tell somebody. And I want you to keep me accountable that I don't bury this amongst the what-if it could go wrong. Keep me accountable to the, to the what-if that God has deposited in my heart. Keep asking the what-if questions.